Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this episode, Associate Editor Sarah Hill sat down with Dan Faber of Faber's Farm Equipment, a short-line dealer who carries McCormick, Crone, Versatile, Vermeer, and more. Dan's the third-generation owner of the dealership based in Inwood, Iowa. Dan's grandfather, Ron Faber, started the business as Ron's Machinery in 1981 as a used equipment business. It wasn't until 2003 that the dealership really started focusing on selling new equipment, and in 2006 took on the McCormick line, which really helped the business blossom. Today, the dealership has a second location in Watertown, South Dakota. Before we head over to Dan, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. All right, let's get things going. This is the Our Dealer Story of Faber's Farm Equipment. Hello, and welcome to the Farm Equipment Podcast with Our Dealer Story. I'm here this afternoon with Dan Faber from Faber's Farm Equipment. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you for having me. To get us started, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your role at Faber's Farm Equipment? Well, I'm a ripe old age of 37 and been doing this since 2001. So I got started pretty much right out of high school. And now I'm at a point where I pretty much am head sales and the manager of two locations here in Inwood and in Watertown. Now, you mentioned Inwood and Watertown. What states are those in respectively? So Inwood is just into Iowa, very close to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Watertown is in South Dakota, just right along I-29 also. Okay, great. Yeah, some of our audience might not be as familiar with Iowa and South Dakota geographies. So let's kind of get in the time machine and go way back. Talk with us about how Faber's Farm Equipment first got started way back in the day. Sure. So if we go way back, we originated from Ron's Machinery, which was owned by my grandpa, Ron Faber. He started basically out at his farm that was really close to town. He started to, well, I guess you'd say, in other words, jockey equipment, particularly used equipment, and then would get into eventually some short lines as far as augers and gravity wagons, grain carts, that type of thing. And he also, besides trying to run that business, he also did roughly about a thousand acres of ground himself that he owned. And then he did a lot of custom work for a lot of the neighboring guys. And then he also so would have anywhere between a thousand to two thousand head of cattle as well. So essentially, he had about three businesses going on. Busy guy. Um, he was a very busy guy, very ambitious, and of course, he did it during the best of times during the eighties. He technically started Ron's Machinery in 1981, and he was just kind of the contact for all the local guys. He knew a lot of people, and so if they were looking for something, they'd come and find him and, hey, can you find me this? And eventually turn it into a business. Interesting. Um, but guy that's that busy, obviously, is a little hard on a person's body. He passed away at a younger age of about 62, and so we really didn't have a lot of 
things in place for the boys to take over. So when he passed away, we pretty much sold out everything to the bare walls because, yeah, like I say, there just wasn't a lot of planning involved, which I think that's a huge issue for a lot of the older generation, particularly in the 90s. It seemed like there were, and earlier, there was not a lot of planning done by farmers, dealers, any of those guys to pass on to the next generation. So when he passed away in 97, my dad bought a few things back, Wilmer, and he got it started again. And we've just kind of, it's evolved a lot from when we started in 97 to now. But it's kind of funny because back then the banker came up to him and says, hey, I want you to get this started again. He says, I'm going to give you $200,000 to get going. And now I kind of see that money and I kind of (laughs) chuckle. Yeah, a different time, certainly a different economic picture. Right, right. But yeah, so it's been a little bit of a bumpy road, but we've managed and have always had the support of my grandma who is still alive. And she always was making sure that everything was going good. And But we just picked up where he kind of had left off in the same building and everything. So wow. and then we eventually, we were sharing that building with my uncle who pretty much took care of all the farming. Then we got rid of all the cattle after he passed away. So he took care of the ground yeah. and he took care of the dealership. And eventually we were tripping over each other in that shop. So we ended up building a new location in 2004. So now backing up here a little bit, what was the motivation for your dad, Wilmer, to start the dealership back up again? So he was with my grandpa probably since about the beginning, since about 81, 82. And that's really about all he knew. It was not anything in particular. It's just a job that he loved to do. And he knew so many people that were closely linked with Ron's machinery that whether we had done some custom farming for him, you know, We were doing custom chopping. We were doing custom combining. I knew the shop guys like they were my family. And it was so funny because my grandpa, he would go and take a guy out to the field, show him a combine. And the shop guy had just got it ready the day before, went out and started combining. And then my grandpa would go and sell it. And he'd have to go back to the shop and get another combine all ready to go out to the field. <laughs> so it was something that he just knew and just loved working with the people at that time. And so I don't think he would want to do it any other way. Walk us through how the dealership grew and evolved since then. So in 97, when he took over, he pretty well started off doing the same things as my grandpa did, finding used equipment for guys doing a lot of the new short lines, but never really looked at getting into the new equipment at all. And we kept going along that same path up until about 2003. And we saw things that were changing in the marketplace. And the year after was when we put up the location. And in 2006, we actually took on our first bigger new line, which was McCormick at that time. And so that was our 
first real experience with dealing with a new manufacturer. Prior to that, we dealt with Fetrol and we dealt with Farm King and some of the smaller manufacturers that just have augers or, or gravity or Brent, their gravity wagons. To actually get into a machine that required a mechanics and everything else, it was something that was totally different for us. And so before that, we had mechanics, but not like trained techs. So yeah, going into that new brand, you just really didn't realize quite what we were getting into until you do it. But with the Mm -hmm. change of how the market was before the internet, it wasn't what you knew, it was who you knew and who could get you the type of equipment you needed. And local guys would come to you to find that stuff for them because they, number one, they didn't have time. And number two, they didn't know as many people. With the internet then, it changed that whole used market. And so then at that point, everybody was their own sales guy and could take care of themselves finding their used equipment. So when Mm -hmm. we went into it with the new equipment, we knew that that was kind of the next step because we weren't going to survive continuing just doing used equipment. So what were some of the challenges of tying yourself to one brand in particular? And how did that change how the business operated? Well, we still joke about this to this day about how if my grandpa knew that we were selling red tractors instead of green ones, that he would probably roll over in his grave. (laughs) (laughs) Because when he was dealing a lot in the used tractors, there were a lot of customers that joked that he sold more John Deere than the John Deere dealers. <laughs> so, <laughs> But then even when we took over after he had passed away, we actually had gravitated more towards a lot of the used red equipment. And when we transitioned to that McCormick brand, it was pretty easy for a lot of the guys. We always had taken care of them in the past. So we had a good customer following when they decided to take on that line. The first year you get a few out. The second year it would increase to probably half a dozen. And at that time in our area here, especially around Inwood, tractors and loaders were your 100 to 150 horse tractors and loaders were the thing that guys wanted. So eventually we got to a point where I think we sold, uh, I want to say anywhere between 18 and 20 new tractors a year. Wow. So, So it actually started started to become quite a bit. And I was actually taking care of the sales, the parts, and lining up all the service work for my guy in the back. Because at that time, we only had one brain mechanic. So it got to be quite a bit. So now, what does the business look like today? How many employees do you have? That type of thing. So... When my dad started, we had four people, including him. And now we are up to, there's a few part-time people, but right at 19 people. It's changed quite a bit. And obviously with the second location, we've got a few more people that we have involved with it as well. And that presents its own challenges, right? Absolutely. Uh, That was going to be my next question is, how did you all go about adding that next location? And what was the process for that happening? So in 2009, roughly about three years after we had signed with McCormick, we then signed up with Crone. And then the year after that, we signed up with Vermeer. And so we had worked with them for quite a while and we decided to make another step, which at the time we signed up with Crone, the only reason we really wanted their equipment was for their good disc mowers and things of that sort. And they had a self-propelled chopper. We had no intention whatsoever 
endeavor of taking that on. And in 2011, I believe we sold our first self-propelled chopper. Actually, we sold two of them that year. So we started to grow a lot with Chrome. And when we made that commitment to do the choppers, we knew that that was what it was. It's like a marriage, basically. And they had approached us about, we see a expanding market and we think that you guys should really look at this area. And so we had discussed it back and forth quite a bit, then finally made the plunge and went ahead and put up that location up in Watertown. back to the Faber's Pharmacomen story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Faber's Pharmacomen with Dan talking about opening the second location and the challenges they faced in expanding the business. Dan also talks about how he got involved in the business and how he sees the business growing in the next three to five years. So what year did the Watertown location open? I think we officially opened in the fall of 2016, but really didn't have it up and going probably until spring of 2017. Sure. So then what are some of the challenges of having multiple locations and managing inventory and employees going between the two? Well, probably the biggest thing is, is just trying to coordinate between. We generally try to have one of us owners go up there roughly about once a week just to see if there's parts that need to come from Inwood and go up to Watertown or vice versa. Also, just trying to keep track of the inventory. We've got a decent computer system to help us with that, but making sure that stuff is in the places that it needs to be presents its own challenge. We do have our own semi and trailer, so that does simplify it because we're not sitting there chasing down other guys trying to get stuff moved back and forth. So that helps. But I've talked to other people with multiple locations and we really call it blessed, call it lucky, whatever you want. We've hired a couple of guys up in Watertown that they've just been on board since day one and they do a great job. If they got questions on anything, they're not afraid to shoot a text or give a call or shoot an email. It makes our lives a lot easier having good people. So that part has gone a lot smoother. I have seen some of the dealerships that maybe have gotten the wrong people the first time or the first couple times, especially being a brand new area like we moved into. And yeah, it can be a train wreck. We just really were very lucky in finding our guys that we found and they've been doing a great job. Awesome. So then since 2017, when the second location opened, would you say that it's been a success branching out in that Watertown area? I would say it is in the sense that they are doing a good job holding their own in a brand new area because it's no surprise to anybody. The last couple of years in the farm economy has not been fantastic. We knew going into up there being a brand new company and being a brand new line, really the only line that we took up there that people really know was Vermeer. 
the crone line, you could have just as well brought a book with Braille for most of these guys because most guys didn't even know what crone was. And now that we've been there for roughly three years, there are a lot more guys that are opening up to that brand and they're seeing the commitment that we've made. And we've already had a few customers that had been dealing with Inwood that now work with Watertown up from that area. Some of our best salespeople are our customers. To this day, uh, I can't believe how good customers, they're your best advertising. The word of mouth just passes along and we're gaining ground more and more all the time. Okay. So now let's kind of shift gears here a little bit and talk about your personal role in the dealership. Did you grow up around the dealership when your dad got it started again in 97? Were you in the picture? And what was that like to be around at the beginning of the dealership? So when my dad started in 97, I was a freshman in high school and I was smarter than my parents, of course. (laughs) (laughs) At that time, there was no need or no want to be a part of it, but there was, at that time I was a freshman, you just care about where you're going to go and hang out with your friends next, right? So it's more get your butt home after school, get your work done, and then go out for the night. That was pretty much how I was in high school. But I also did a lot of things during high school that kind of led me up to this without me knowing. So at that time, we had a car dealership license. I kept bugging my dad. I'm like, you know, this car in this magazine, it's cheap. We need to buy it. And I think we could make a thousand bucks off of this or 500 bucks, you know, it was driving my dad crazy. And finally he's like, I'm sick of you wanting to spend my money. He says, why don't you go get your own money and do that? And so me and him went and talked to the banker when I was a freshman and I couldn't even drive yet at this point. The banker gave me a $5,000 loan to go out and buy a car. And there was a family friend that had a lot in town right along a major highway. And I started setting my cars there and I traded off the rent for the lot for me taking care of it and mowing it and everything. And I sold cars all through high school. By the time I was a senior in high school, I actually had an operating note of about $50,000. Wow. (laughs) So I actually had a pretty decent little car lot. Yeah. Um, And you were learning the business basically as well. Right. Whether I knew it or not, I was learning exactly what I was meant to do. And I already knew what farm equipment was because I grew up around it in grades right. and everything. So I just enjoyed cars and that's why I was doing that. Before you know it, I graduated and I still kept selling a few cars, but then I got busy with uh, my own family and I didn't want to do that so much anymore. And then probably when I came here... It was actually supposed to be a temporary move. I was transitioning from a job that I had part-time in high school, and most farmers know it as A&I products. I worked there for quite some time in the manufacturing, and I was assembling front ends for tractors after school. And then they really didn't need me in that spot anymore, so they moved me into the warehouse, which I basically shipping parts, and I hated that job. So I mentioned it to my dad and my dad's like, well, yeah, we'll hire you on for the time being. I was here for about two or three years and all I did was just all kinds of grunt work, right? He says, you're going to get some of the worst. 
And so I was in the wash bay. I was doing complete reconditioning of any piece of equipment, tractors, whatever. And then after the second or third year, Wilmer being on the road as much as he was going to auctions, things of that sort, I started taking care of a lot of the sales along with my brother-in-law, Dean, who's also an owner in the business. So we kind of kept on working more into the sales, kind of on accident. And yeah, before you know it, five years being here, all of a sudden dad says, well, you've been here for five years. If you want the option to buy in, you can. So me and my brother-in-law did. Everything happens for a reason and it just seems that way with this. So now, did you get a college degree related to the business and to help prepare you from that aspect? No, no, actually not. Okay. Uh, A lot of what I've been doing is self-taught and just align yourself with certain people and they're more than willing to teach you. Yeah. So now you said after five years, you bought into the business. How long then have you been one of the owners? So in 2006 is when we would have bought him. Okay. It would have been probably about uh, three months prior to us signing with McCormick. Okay. Okay. And so is your father still involved in the business? Yeah. Yeah. So he's still involved. He handles a lot of your, well, he still, of course, loves to do the sales. So he still helps me with sales. And you ain't getting any work done unless you're getting out in the shop and getting dirty. So, of course, he has to get out in the shop every so often. He's been gradually pulling back more and more. I think last year, him and my mom spent roughly three, four months down in Florida. They're gradually stepping away because they're at that ripe age of 65. So they're gradually stepping back and letting us take over. Okay. Yeah. He's still here. And even when he's down in Florida, he can't stay away from it. He's still calling almost every day. Hey, what do you got going on? And even when we weren't owners, he would always take me or or my brother-in-law or both aside and say, Hey, this is a trade a guy wants to do. What do you think? And he would always include us in those decisions. Sure. So now How does the balance look between you and your brother-in-law as to who handles what parts of the business? So I pretty well take care of all the equipment side. So in and over that time, we've kind of fallen into a niche with a large tire and wheel business, which last I checked, I think we're right around one and a half to $2 million worth of just tires and wheels every year. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's a niche where we actually will do trades on tires and rims for your guys that want to go from narrow rubber up to wide rubber or vice versa, or just want new rubber. So we've got a number of dealerships and a number of customers from probably five states around that they'll call and be doing those tire swaps. And he pretty well mans all of that. And then he also takes care of the trucking and lining up the the hauls and everything else. So there's not too many nights after the day is over that me and him are here discussing what the strategy is for the next day as to, okay, this has to be moved here. This has to go over here. And he's just as involved and we're all three equal owners now. So yeah, he's just as vested as I am. 
Great. So you mentioned that hiring the right people has been critical to really launching that second location. What would you describe as your hiring philosophy when you're looking for those great people that you've found? Really, when we're vetting people and looking at we always require a resume and we looked at a resume over really close, but obviously one thing that we look for on the resume is how long were you at your past jobs? Are you jumping from job to job to job? That's something that's kind of hard to get over if guys are jumping every year, every other year. The other thing that we probably like to see on the resumes and we try to get them to tell us what they volunteer in, what they do in the community, things of that sort. Are they involved in church? Are they doing hobbies that are somewhat related to what they're doing? If they do that, they generally have a good moral compass. And if you can find those types that are involved, they generally seem to be good leaders and then also good workers. I would say that's probably the main things. And obviously there's a number of things that we have to teach them depending on where they came from. One of our biggest things that we always tell our sales guys and our service guys and parts, of course, is if you think it's right, then do it and do unto others as you would like them to do to you. So that's something that we try to instill in our people as much as possible. And that seems to work really well and get a lot of loyal customers from that. Sure. So now, as you've mentioned, the ag economy has not been the greatest in the past few years. Have you seen potential hirees or potential job candidates who have bounced around, not necessarily because they wanted to or they chose to leave, but because of the ag economy and how things have been kind of up and down? Are you Um, seeing that at all? So you probably will see that a little bit with uh, sales guys a little, because generally those are some of the people that they're not seeing the commissions that they need to in in order to make it really work. So they need to look at different options. Uh, Your service guys, they're hard enough to come by that generally most places will hold on to them as much as possible. There's not too many that I know that they actually were laying off service guys. Parts guys, uh, that's kind of a mixed bag. There's a few places that might have cut a few parts guys, but not a lot. I know we're hiring all three of them right now. It's hard to hire good people. So when you do get them, you just got to take care of them. There's not too many places that have been laying off. Where most people have quit has been more because of mergers, more than the economy. And just, they don't want the corporate structure. They'd rather be with a smaller entity. Mm -hmm. So now you mentioned that once you find and hire these diamonds in the rough, you take care of them. What does that look like for Faber's farm equipment? What is the company culture that you've cultivated to take care of your employees? That same statement that I made earlier about do unto others as you would want them to do to you we feel that same way about our employees. Without our employees that we have, we would not be where we're at. Same goes for our customers. 
So if that means that you got to give them time off at maybe some of the worst times of the year, you really don't want to, but sometimes you just have to. And most of our employees know what those times are and they really appreciate when you give them that option to take some time to take care of something that's really important to them. So that's one of the things. Probably the other thing is, and this is a terrible phrase, but we always say, if you want a bunch of monkeys, you pay with peanuts. But honestly, if you find those good people, you need to pay them well and take care of them well, period. That's what we try to do. Let's talk a little bit about how since 97, the agriculture equipment business has really changed a lot, particularly with the addition of precision ag technology being added to equipment. How does the dealership manage the precision ag aspect of the business? So we don't do a ton with planters and combines and sprayers. That's something that we don't do a lot with. But what we are finding more and more with most of the equipment that we're selling, we're finding that these self-propelled choppers, for instance, uh, guys are wanting their moisture and tonnage and they also want it mapped. And then they also want that machine to auto steer, obviously, if they're putting all that on. That's something that just in the last few years has really been coming on with those machines. On the flip side, we're also getting guys that are wanting more precision with spreading manure, where we're having to be able to map and variable rate that manure onto a field. So it sounds like the business has really expanded and the horizon looks great for growth. What do you foresee in the next three to five years for Babers Farm Equipment? Well, that's a hard question to answer because it seems like that changes about every three to six months. At the beginning of this year, I was going to tell you that we were probably on an upslide from where we had been the last couple of years. And then all Corona came along and we really had no idea where any of this was going. But now we've all of a sudden come out of that and have been doing well. But do I think that we're going to go and build any new locations? That I'm not ready to do that. Fair enough. (laughs) But I've got good customers of mine that tell me about ground that's for sale not far from them all the time. (laughs) You can build a store over here. (laughs) (laughs) Right close down the road to me. Right, right, right. So it's hard to say because even the Watertown location, that happened probably within about a year and a half, two year span. So far, we've been blessed with how things have gone. And so I guess I just feel that we're going to keep rolling with the punches and do what we need to to support our people. And if we've got to make some bigger changes as we go, then so be it. But otherwise, if this is good for now, I'm not one of those guys that needs to take over the world to know that I'm doing (laughs) a decent job. But I do want to do a good job of what I do. Sure. Well, that wraps up all the questions that I had. Thanks again, Dan, so much for talking with us about Faber's Farm Equipment and appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Dan for taking the time to sit down and share his story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. 
that'll ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Dan Faber. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.